Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I sell blue moon. You saw me standing alone. That is in my heart. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. Uh, City didn't play this weekend, and the last game we played since the last podcast, of course, was Manchester City 5, Monaco 3. That's Manchester City 5, Monaco 3. So to discuss... City 5, Monaco 0, or 3, or whatever it is. Uh, there are three Blues who are itching to get involved, and they are Stato Paul Denby. Evening. Uh, MCFC pragmatist Nick Goldstone. Hi. And a real ale enthusiast, Dave Hodgson. Good evening. So, uh, before we get on to that sort of attack versus defence training match, uh, a year ago today, City beat Liverpool in the Carling Cup. I think we were all there, probably, looking around this table. Uh, indeed, we were. Um, so, quickly, before we move on, just memories from that. I suppose we've got to start with Willie, haven't we, and that uh, amazing performance. Of course, he wasn't due to play, was he? Or we shouldn't think he should play, but... It was an amazing goalkeeping performance in the penalties, and he made a couple of times, but we should have had that game sewn up well, well, well before we got even anywhere near extra time, let alone penalties. Murdered them, missed um, a couple of very, very good chances... But it was, it was at the end of the day we won it. Doesn't matter, and uh, we've got the we have the trophy to keep for the twelve months, the fourth time we've won it. So fantastic. Other than that fantastic penalty shootout, um, one thing topical, which is that uh, Sergio Aguero was hacked down in that game for a nailed-on penalty, and he didn't get one. And second thing was that there were I was there with my my. Uh, two kids and there were some exceptionally obnoxious Liverpool fans sat right behind me using the most unpleasant language for the whole game from beginning to end and it gave me enormous pleasure to turn around to them at the very end as they left very quickly and uh, I told them what I thought of them won't say any further it was a moment of scant consolation in what was a dismal league season. Um, our League Cup and our Champions League run just about papered over the cracks of what was a fairly dismal league campaign. <laughs> uh, and just talking of Liverpool, and we will get on to uh, 
5-3 Monaco of course but uh, Klopp loses to Leicester and there's like no problem no problem at all you know they're on a bit of a bad run you know we lose to Leicester and Pep gets completely mullered so so what what's with this sort of sort of Klopp fest what, what, help Dave you're you're close to the press I know as well as being a real alien enthusiastic and a liberal democrat you are hugely uh, well informed of these things. What what is it with Klopp? Why is he not getting hammered? Because they've not got any points in the last six months or something, isn't it? No. Klopp is firstly an incredibly amiable figure. He's someone who even as so is Pep. In a very different way, Pep is seen as someone who is a provider of the most beautiful football in the world. Klopp is the the manager. I think most people would say is the one they most want to go and have a drink with. He's very popular with the press and the fans and very engaging. But more. I'd, I'd say even more so. Guardiola has a very certain style of play, which is often seen as perhaps a little fragile and delicate. Klopp is seen as kind of this, you know, heavy metal orchestra, as he was referring to his team, you know, this very heavy going team who are seen as a bit more able to deal with the pressure of the league. The moment something, someone as direct, a team as direct as Leicester or a team who play in the way Leicester do beat City, the press are immediately going to jump on an easy headline. Guardiola's team are fragile and they can't deal with the rigors of the Premier League. And when you're out for this drink, which real ale would you be suggesting that uh, Klopp has with you? Which is your particular favourite, David? I think we'd have to go, just for the sake of convincing him which is the finer city in the northwest. I think we'd have to go for some Boddingtons. But, oh, but before the great brewery change. Very good. <laughs> Klopp, quickly, oh, before we're getting on to the Monaco game, quick, quickly on this whole Klopp thing, it just, it just baffles me that you know, they're, they're on such a terrible run. He doesn't seem to have taken any stick at all at all yet. I think Liverpool were just as appalling as we were when we played Leicester and got hammered by them. Uh, I think a lot of uh, Liverpool fans will uh, be very upset by that performance. I don't particularly recognise the fact that he's not getting any uh, uh, negative criticism uh, after that after that game. What I'm a little bit worried about, which uh, may or may not come to pass, is that Liverpool had a couple of weeks off before that game. We've just been off to Abu Dhabi for a nice winter break and a big game tomorrow night. Let's see what happens. All right. Uh, there are a couple of other anniversaries, actually, which you will know about. I'm saving them for you, Paul Denby. Um, but but your, your view on Klopp? He himself has said he's under pressure. He, he said in the press, uh, I heard this morning, that the Liverpool team, and him in particular, are, they're not getting the results. They've only won, I think it's two in the last 12, which is a pathetic performance. And if City had done that sort of level of performance, we'd get slated. And I, I I'm not sure why the press haven't gone in, but I think he realises he will be under pressure from the Liverpool uh, supporters in the hierarchy very quickly if he doesn't turn it round the minimum they need as far as I would have thought is in Champions League football next season and if he doesn't get that he's had a disastrous season and talking of anniversaries uh, you will know that yesterday was King Colin's 71st birthday and I think looking around the table I think it's probably, probably only you and me who actually saw King Colin play looking at these two young fresh faced things yes, so it was. any opportunity to talk about King Colin uh, a name uh, a stand named after him of course just, just give us a, a few reflections just before we move on on the amazing Colin Bell well, the one thing, I, I might have said this on a podcast before, but I apologise if I did, was in the final programme of uh, City at Main Road against Southampton, they asked people to write in a little article, and I, I had mine published. I was really, really lucky, because what I wrote in was about Colin Bell's return match against Newcastle on Boxing Day 1977, I think it was. Nil-nil at half-time, and he, he came on as a substitute. Yep. Yep. The crowd just lifted City, they won 4-0. And apparently, the reason my little article was published was that it was Colin's favourite game as well, mm. because he just 
couldn't quite appreciate what the what the crap what he'd done for City, how it reverberated around the ground. Fantastic. The, the sad thing was, of course, he dragged that leg around with him, and it was noticeable the difference. He just was not fit, was he? It was. He, it, he it, never, it was. It was he terrible. never got back to it what he was before that disastrous injury against um, Scum. Uh, and one final one, um, which is a day of reflection today. Uh, 28th of February 1976. City 2, Newcastle 1. And the scorers were? Barnes and Tewart. And that was an amazing overhead kick. Which Alan Gowling even got the Newcastle goal. I'll give you that he one did, as he well. He did, he did. And then Tony Book, of course, is the first person to win the cup as a player and a manager. It's all, it's all here for all <laughs> to enjoy. But listen, game of the season is what I'm calling it. And I know it seems a while ago now, but but it is actually, we haven't talked about it since the last since the last show. G- game of the season so far, by some margin. I think before we dissect it, we have to say what a wonderful spectacle of football it was. It was... And more, more than just that, it was some of the finest young players in Europe on a pitch showing what they can do. You know, you looked at the, the wide players for Monaco, had a fantastic game. Falcao is, there was a lab of the same name, he used to play for Manchester United, but it can't be the same <laughs> bloke. And, you know, City's players as well, so fluid, so attacking, but more than, more than anything else, that was the mentality. Everyone was looking for attacking opportunities and the game was played almost you know without any sort of inhibition it was wonderful to see it was almost like one of those training ground games of you know attack versus versus defense wasn't it the um the spell in the second half when all those uh wonderful um goals came so quickly was fantastic it was a a carnival i think there is a lot that could be criticized but that's that's probably right in any game with eight goals I said at the end of that game, it was like watching City v City. Um, <laughs> well, what I couldn't work out is why do we want to sign any of their players, though? Because their attacking players are similar to our attacking players and their defenders are like our defenders. I wouldn't want any of their defenders and their attackers would just supplement ours unless we're going to play a 0-0-10 formation, which Guardiola could try. <laughs> I think it was Joe Mercer who once said, I prefer to win 4-3 than 1-0. And that kind of reminded me very much of those days, wasn't it? And again, I'm looking at you, Paul, here, because, again, it's only you and I who can remember this. But the great Joe Mercer, that was the sort of football, he'd, and he said it. I remember the quote, you know, he'd rather win 4-3 than 1-0. And, and that's kind of what it reminded me of. And, yeah. and I think Pep's also comes from the position of, we will always score more goals than you. It doesn't matter how many you concede, we think we can score more than you. And that's kind of how it turned out. Uh, and I think that's his attitude, and I think it's a great attitude to have. I much prefer that than the... Dower one nil wins were or the one nil defeats because it's just boring football and there's a certain team that play more to that style that we don't want to talk about and I much prefer the attacking style. Yes, we will lose some games, but I just it was just a fantastic game. Probably not only the game of the season, it's probably one of the best games in terms of free flowing football that I have ever seen. And I go back a long way of watching City. Can we break it down a little bit as well, just talking about some of the players? We start with Aguero, who clearly, I think on previous podcasts, with um, Gabriel Jesus coming into the side, uh, with his attitude, with him not playing the sort of football that Pep wants. We were, all, we were writing him off a week ago. We were all saying he's finished, he's gone. He certainly answered his critics there, didn't he? He showed the thing that has come to define Aguero and is the reason we all love him, and it's the fact that he can finish like no other player in the club. His ability to just pull a you know pull a goal out of thin air is remarkable. And he, that goal he brought down from the corner, you know, straight volley, lovely goal. I don't think any of our other players would have scored that. 
his touch still looks heavier than it has in the past. And there were moments where he was coming in sort of to, you know, knock the ball back to a midfielder and his touch would be heavy. It will fall at the feet of a defender. But at the end of the day, what Aguero provides is that pure, you know, razor sharp finishing. And for a game like that, that can get you, you know, two, three goals when there's that many chances flying around. Aguero will always feature on the score sheet. Shamey sort of dived and got booked, isn't it, early on in the penalty box? <laughs> I mean, that was outrageous, wasn't it? Outrageous behaviour. Typical of Aguero, you could argue. Uh, you know, dives. I don't think the player was anywhere near him, was he? Uh, well, well, I mean, look, it was, it was so clearly a nailed on uh, penalty that's barely worth dis- discussing. What, what I don't get is how the the game and the refereeing of the game has come to a point where clearly the referee has in the the first thing in his mind when he looks at that at a situation like that is it's probable that the the the, the guy has has uh, uh, um, has gone over deliberately I mean that is a that is as clear a penalty as you can get and it's always always has been in the history of football but you had the benefit of being you know 14 rows up in the stand in the warmth of your seat with a rug over your knees with a perfect view or indeed maybe I don't know on the television seeing it slowed down four times and stopped and showed that it wasn't I mean the ref had a a different view and in his opinion it, it wasn't and he sees it once we see it 15 times replayed of course I've I, I got a slightly different view. I, I don't think it was a clear-cut penalty myself. Mm. I, I was screaming at the game. I was saw it from, from the stands, shouting like most City fans were, that it was a penalty. But I've seen it about three or four times on replays on television, and I get where the referee came from, to be honest. The goalkeeper might just have touched the ball, and Aguero might just have left his leg there. It's, it wasn't a yellow card, because I think the goal, he fell over the goalkeeper's leg. But was it a stonewall penalty? I'm not so certain. And... You know, I'm going to go on the referee's side of this. Theirs was a penalty, and he got that right. Otamendi definitely took him out. Yeah. And the, later on in the game, when Sterling was bundled over in the box, apparently, I thought that was a penalty at the game as well. And it wasn't. I thought the referee actually got those three decisions. The two were definitely right, and I think the Aguero one was, it was a 50-50. Some referees would have given a penalty. Some referees, I don't think it was a stonewall. David. Let me sort of take this from another angle. I agree with you. When I first saw it, I wasn't sure if it was a penalty. But for me, there's only two situations the referee could have perceived he saw. One is that it was a penalty. Or two, that it wasn't a penalty and Aguero went down over the goalkeeper's leg. I don't know how he's come up with this mysterious third option of Aguero dive because there was nothing in that where he could see that that would happen. It was clear contact between the two players. I don't know where he's got, he, he got that idea from. And I also think the Otamendi one, for how clear a penalty I thought it was, I thought that was a stonewaller. The fact it took them so long to make that decision, and it ultimately came down to the fifth official to make that decision, was very poor. And, you know, again, I don't like seeing the amount of cards flying around that flew around in that game. That, for me, doesn't scream an overly nasty game, because it wasn't. It screams a referee who didn't have full control of the game. Can I bring up the, the thorny issue, then, of video technology i hesitate before i say this but i've said it now um and as a referee uh, i'll just keep quiet for a minute but we'll sort of just ask around the table your views is it time some people are saying it's now time and if it is time time for what what level of intervention what level of technology would be acceptable and do we really need or actually just to give you a bit more thinking time is this all about 
it's all about opinion. The ref sees it once. We get on with the game. What else would we talk about? And let's just... The game would change fundamentally if we start stopping it and introducing some sort of technology. We have it already, I know, with goal line technology. And that seems to work. It's instantaneous. It's fact. It's over the line or it's not. But when we get into these issues, here's Paul saying it wasn't a penalty. We've got Nick saying it was a penalty, etc. So, So let's throw it out there. And let's have that debate. We've not really had it for a long time on this particular show. I'm interested in your view. Is it time? And if so, what does it look like? I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't think it's right. Uh, I think it would fundamentally change the game. And frankly, there are too many decisions that would still be unclear, even with the technology in use. Um, I don't think uh, that um, there's a massive issue in terms of the the offside decisions. You know, I don't go in for this idea of... 25 replays and was his you know left knee half an inch offside or not that just doesn't matter that's just part of the game that's that's the 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 borderline issues that have to be decided by the linesman at the time and you you know there are some you get and there are there are some you don't things like that aguero decision it didn't need a video uh, replay you know that was uh, a 99 penalty in in any game in any situation in the history of the game it, you know it, it, there was no addy there's nothing to add from a from a replay but in the champion just to i said i'd be quiet but just to pick up on that point before we get the others to come in if that was the champions league final and it was a, if you say it was a 99 percent penalty and and city then don't get that penalty and yaya steps up and scores them all anyway and we don't win the champions league surely that that's but you're still not bothered about that you still don't think it's important i think it's a, a a terrible tragedy but i don't think the answer to it is the video technology okay very honest and very fair dave i personally believe we should start rolling this stuff out and i've got i've heard two strong arguments against it the first one was always that you wanted football to be consistent from the very top to the very bottom such that it remained fundamentally the same game now we have goal line technology that i wouldn't say that argument particularly stands and of course you know the 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 way the game is at the top level is naturally quite different to what it is at the grassroots the one thing that has always sort of bugged me with this though is how much will it slow the game down? That's the main concern you hear from people. You know, if we're constantly stopping and starting to see where they inbound, where where they, you know, um, was there a trip? What these things were. So I think what I would like to see is some roll out a trial that the video decision can only be used when play has been stopped. So you look at a game like yesterday, where the United Southampton game, Gabadiani's ruled out goal, disgraceful decision. The ball was in the back of the net. However, the game restarted. It was either going to be a free kick or a goal. In that period of time, check, what should it be? You know, the play has stopped. You're not breaking up play. You're not having to stop it while someone looks at a little tablet. I think that's a really good way to trial it. See if it works. See how it changes the game and take it from there. So can I just again come back to you? So there's maybe an instant where there's possibly a penalty. Hmm. Okay, but we're not sure. We'll wait and have a look when when play stops. The ball goes down the other end and they score. The other team score. That's when play stops. So, mean, you're going to come, so you're going to come back, review that. Say, Sorry, that no. wasn't a goal then. And 95,000 people are going ballistic around the ground. That would be more entertaining. It would make for headlines. And it would... It's the reality. It's the potential but the reality of the situation. More what I'm saying is when the incident has led to the ball going out of play. Okay. Paul. I think each team should have two appeals and a half, like they're doing cricket or tennis. Same sort of principle. And where there's a... 
And in where there's dispute over it, the referee's decision holds. So the Aguero one, and, and I know viewers are differing around this table, that's, that's live, but if it's not a clear-cut penalty, then the referee's decision holds. And it's also right that the defending team can appeal that it's not a penalty on the same principle. Offside, so I think it should only be used for offsides and penalties. It shouldn't be used for anything else. But who decides it? You just use the, 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 the clear cut. Who, whose decision is it? If you say if the, it's the, not a clear, it goes to what a panel of people. Or no, three? no, no. The, 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 it's then up to the manager of the team who wishes to make an appeal. Right. To, who, who, who reviews it? Well, there's an independent referee, as they have in any, any lots okay. of other sports that are having rugby. Somebody watching on television. You can do that in. Let's be honest. I watched the United Southampton game yesterday. It was on television the replay of the disallowed goal within seconds. Right. And you could tell within seconds that it was a goal. Can I tell you the problem with that? Of course the pro- you can. Because the law states... I am, because I feel quite strongly about this, as you know. The claw- the st- I'll start again. The law clearly states that if in the opinion of the referee... Okay? So we're not sure. There's an appeal to whatever it is you're saying. Fine, I understand that. So it goes to another referee who has another opinion. And that becomes one opinion against another opinion. And if I go back to match the day on Saturday night only this week, the two panellists were there about an incident, and one thought it was and one thought it wasn't. So we're going to end up with a situation where the referee on the ground has an opinion and the appeal referee has an opinion, and it's one opinion against the no, next. No, what, what, what I'm suggesting is the, the referee who's watching on the screen after the incident, if it's not clear-cut, he says, I agree with the referee's first decision. We don't know anything more about it. If it is clear-cut, he says, you got that wrong. It was a deliberate handball. It's a penalty. But if it's a, a very unclear decision, it stays with the referee's initial decision. But I, I repeat what I said. You're still going to a situation he's going to decide or she's going to decide whether it is or it isn't. And it might be a different opinion from the referee on the pitch. Well, that happens in cricket, it happens in tennis, it happens in rugby, it happens but, in other sports. Why, why, why has football got this holy grail that we're better than any other sport? I'm not saying we're better. I think we've already had the point that to stop the game as we do cricket, for example, as you know, every delivery, there is a stop. The bowler goes back to his mark, the batsman takes his, you know, takes his stance again and awaits the next delivery. It's totally different. I mean, as, it, as it happens, I think the way that they have implemented it in cricket is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it has clearly changed the game but in a lot of ways it's made it a better game but it's very clear cut um you know you're either out or you're not there are too many ways that you can uh uh give away a penalty uh, for example to make it uh, that clear cut in football you know there's lots of challenges that will be very much up for debate however many replays you look at and just to hand the, the uh to hand it over to another referee who's watching watching the tv uh, is not going to change things all right well listen it's a fascinating debate we'll take a quick break and we'll carry on with the monaco game just after this Hello from the Geek Town Radio podcast, a show that gives you the latest TV, film and gaming news all from a UK perspective, plus the latest UK premiere dates and a ton of interviews from people such as Suits Lewis Lit, Rick Hoffman. It's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. To gaming royalty like Troy Baker and Nolan North. Would you really take a bullet from me? Uh, well, no, that's that's the acting. <laughs> from behind the scenes people such as the directors of smash hit US comedy Veep. We love Geek Town. My kids wear your t-shirts. To screen legends. Hello. Such as Mr. George Decay. Star trekking across the universe. For all this and more, come join us on Geek Town Radio, available to download every Tuesday from your usual podcast supplier and from geektown.co.uk. 
welcome back. So we've done Aguero. Uh, can we just talk about Sane as well? And I've written sort of, you know, pace, strength, work rate, a brilliant run to set up the opening for Sterling, uh, the opening goal for Sterling, and, and then ended up scoring the fifth as well. I mean, he, he's on fire, isn't he? He is a wonderful combination of certain attributes of players that I've wanted to see rolled into a winger for a while. He's quick, he's strong, he's tall, and he has just the most remarkable ball control. You know, he has the strength to hold people off and go past them. He seems to be, you know, getting the, the eye for a pass very, very quickly compared to, you know, the difference between how he was when he arrived is huge. He sees opportunities, he's very direct, and he gives us a whole new approach to opening defences, particularly when you've got him and Sterling, who can draw people wide, they can draw people inside, and they're, they're quicker than most of the players they come up against. It gives us a real edge. So it reminds me of a young Navas. He reminds me of a very young a player that played for our youth team that we lost um, very early on. He never played for the first team, but he had a fantastic career at another club. Ryan Giggs. <laughs> you might not like me saying it, but look, rivalries aside, Giggs was a great footballer. And if Sane can do anything like Giggs did in his career, we've got a wonderful player. And he does remind me of him. Left wing, fast, tall, controls the ball well. He does everything that... It's a very similar sort of play. I was actually going to say exactly the same thing about about that other player. Uh, I mean, luckily at the time we had uh, David White, so it didn't really matter that we lost out, but there you go. Um, <laughs> he has transformed during the course of the season. And I think it's, you know, people... He had, a, sl- he had a slow start, didn't he? he for- yeah, and I mean, there were times when he was... We went through a run of, of, um, of home games that we drew one all, or we lost one or two. Uh, earlier in the season and he was he was almost like he was hiding he didn't want the ball and when he got it he was looking for a short inside pass and now it's like he's been released Um, and that pace that he gets the ball at the pace that he runs at players um, is has been a huge transformation I think that actually you know people are talking about uh, Jesus as being the the big thing, yeah, maybe, but 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 actually, I think it's a, it's more about him and the way that he's uh, transformed since the beginning of the season. And, and Dave was talking about Sterling as well, and kind of the combination of them. They were, they were the two together. That's kind of the, probably the first game where we've actually seen the two of them sort of on, on fire. It really unsettles defences because they can't, they don't know where the attack's going to come down. And we switched the ball fairly quickly with De Bruyne and Silver as well, sat just behind the two wingers, pushing the ball both ways. And very quickly, Silver moving across, De Bruyne spraying the passes around. We, in theory, we should tear lots of teams apart if they're on fire all at the same time. Uh, uh, this newfound confidence, this great pace. I, it's, I, I read a statistic somewhere, which I'm sure Stato will, will tell me if it's right or not, Dave. But he's had a hand in 10 goals in the last 10 Champion League starts or something like that. I don't know whether that's right or not, but it sounds good anyway. It's sterling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's impressive it's not one I've heard but it's, a, it's, it's very impressive um, I think the other thing that those two have done which we um, which you know is, is, has been a really key part of our game in the last few weeks is what the effect they've been having on Silver but Silver has two very quick outlets that he can release who can you know wait on the shoulders of defenders he can play them he can play them in through and it's been a very key part of Silver's deeper playmaking role for City having these outlets that he can release and sort of finally, before we talk about Monaco, uh, the team, and we, I know we've touched on that a little bit, um, Willy Caballero, easy to say, Willy Caballero as well, who uh, 
who saved a penalty and, and, and a, which that would have gone three one of course at that point if it had gone in and, and a late save as well to sort of keep the two goal advantage. He's uh, he's doing all right, isn't he? Since he got the number one shirt, he is. Well, he hasn't got the number one shirt. But you know what I mean? He's, uh, he is the number one berth. He's uh, you know he was uh, at least partly to. Uh blame for a uh, for a goal early on but I think he overall he had a great game he's got a sort of character that uh, that I don't get from Bravo and I think he's got a sort of impact on the the team when he's in goal you're a Willy fan aren't you He's he's a wonderful goalkeeper. I'll, I'll word that tactically. He's a, um, he's, he's got a an amazing ability to communicate to the um, to the defenders that Bravo doesn't have. He's I think the defence feel far more. They know where they're going with Caballero, and he he also seems a lot more sort of confident in his own ability. Whereas you know Bravo is a sort of ball of pathos, you know, running around shouting. And he I I, uh, I say this a lot, but he. He always seems to be beating himself up about something, mm. Bravo, whereas Caballero is confident, resolute, sort of gets on with stuff. I think he started the game quite badly against Monaco. Certainly the first Monaco goal, he was really, you know, quite, a, quite at fault. But he, um, he sort of later became, you know, a, a lot stronger. Penalty save invigorated him, the save from Falcao at the end. And given, I thought, one of his centre-backs in Nicolas Otamendi had a particularly bad game. Mm. He did a lot of covering and, you know, managed to sort of keep the defence together. Did you want to come in, Nick, on the, on the Caballero? Uh, well, only to say that he did, uh, yes, he was at fault and he didn't have a great start to the game, but that was more about the passing than the keeping. So, Paul, can we talk about Monaco? Because we know, and we knew before we played them, that they were scoring goals at will. I think it's 111 goals they've scored this season now. Uh, and we weren't sure whether that's a case of a poor league they're playing and all the fact that they're fantastic going forward. And I suspect it's a bit of both, but they were awesome going forward. And I think only two teams have kept clean sheets against them all season. So, you know, they are a force, aren't they? And, and it sets it up very, very nicely for the 15th of March with a two-goal lead, but then with their three away goals. It, it's perfectly poised, isn't and it? Of course, I've got the statistics on five, three leads from a first leg of a European uh, <laughs> Cup match. I did have to do a minor bit of research on it. I don't know how many times it's happened, but the statistic is 66.6%. So it's either two in three or four in six. I can't imagine that there's... That go through. So go through. Two, so with lead. two in three is 66% of teams that have a five, three lead going into the second leg have succeeded in going through to the... You've not let us down again, Stafford. So I thought I'd let you in. But it's, there's going to be goals, let's be honest about it. It's not but going to be nil-nil, is it? If it's, I bet the odds on nil-nil are incredibly long because you wouldn't expect it. It could be. I'd take nil-nil, of course. Um, no, uh, it's going to be something like... It could be anything from 2-all to 4-2 to, to... We could go out. It's quite easy. We could go out 4-2 or something like that. But I think we've just about got enough in us to score us goals and match them particularly in the second half we're a fitter team than them they did seem to be mm. struggling a bit towards the end I'm not saying that was all the reason we got our three goals in the, from the sort of 70 odd minutes onwards but they did look a little bit tired like they couldn't quite cope with our pace so if we're in it at sort of 70 minutes, well, maybe one goal down or something like that, I'd, I'd be very comfortable. And what's, what, what's Pep going to do? Because clearly he's got lots of options. Is he going to just say, look, we can only play one way, we'll score more than you? Or is he, is he going to go there and think, look, we've got to try and keep a clean sheet and we've just got to keep it down and we've got the two-goal advantage? What, what's your view? Well, look, we, we play with a very high line at the back and Monaco love that. Our, weakness, our weaknesses are our full-backs, 
Monaco strength of their wingers. You know, the way that is set up is not such that we can go there, defend the game out. We have to attack. We are much better at retaining the ball when it's with our attackers than our defenders. I think that's the way we have to set out. It's better for the neutral. It's better for our chances of it. It should be a very good game. And we know that Monaco are going to come at us. Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. One of the things that really concerned me when I watched that uh, Monaco game was about John Stones. And it wasn't about his passing or anything specifically that he did on the night. It was about his lack of pace. Um, And he got uh, completely exposed at least a couple of times in that game. Once for the the Falcao goal when it looked like he was running backwards. Um, uh, And yeah... Playing with a high line clearly uh, is going to expose that even more. Uh, is Pep going to change anything for the next game? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, he, he's just going to do what he does. But I do worry about John Stones in that regard because that's not going to change. Dave? The one change I do think he might make is I don't think he will play Fernandinho at left back against them again. I think Zabaleta may well come mm. in to play that role or if Kolarov or Klesia are fit. I don't, I don't know what their um, expected return date is. Um, you know, I think he will probably want to go with two orthodox fullbacks for that one, uh, given what happened last time, which also means we can have Fernandinho as a defensive screen. And I think it's fair to say he's a lot more effective in that role than Torre. Yeah. My concern would be, you know, what's going on with company? Because I think he would bring a, a level head and a bit of um, calmness where Otamendi very much lacks it, which will in turn help John Stones, who does sometimes look to be looking for leadership, then finds leadership has run up into the other half and hacked someone down with two feet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, um, I think Vincent Company would be a much better partner for him than Otamendi. Not fit, is he? I think he Who knows at this oh. stage? Who does? I think he's he, I think he'll be out playing tomorrow. Him. He's not yeah, playing against Huddersfield exactly. tomorrow. He's, he's not right. He's not right. Nope. Uh, I'm not going to go around and ask for predictions. Let me just say, does anybody think uh, we're not going to go through? Excellent. Uh, I'll, uh, as I just was that against Huddersfield or Monaco? I will come on Huddersfield. We're still on Monaco at the moment. We're going to go to Huddersfield now. But I think we're before- the favourites, but I can certainly uh, imagine some scenarios. You know, if, if 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 we give away an early goal in Monaco, it's it's totally game on, isn't it? Well, I, I'll anybody want a program? I'll be there, of course. Just put my seat on EasyJet today. So yeah, I'll, I'll have a program. Have a program, please. very good. Any others? Any like? One program. Excellent. So uh, I'm very excited about that, and very much looking forward to a trip to the south of France. Uh, Marvellous. Uh, let's talk then about Huddersfield, the mighty Huddersfield, riding high in the championship, held us to a nil-nil draw at their place at the John Smith Stadium, and uh, is is he going to make? as many changes as he made during the first leg or is he going to say we need a bit of uh, attacking force here and we're going to keep one or two of the big boys in to make sure we just deal with this and, and not be embarrassed how's he going to play things Paul I think he should play a stronger team than he played in the first match I think he won't play a full first 11 he might give Aguero a rest and give uh, Kelechi a chance or he could play as he sometimes tries his false number 9 I would, I would rest two or three of the players from, for the weekend because uh, it's only um, well, it's only Sunderland, I say, and <laughs> Sunderland are really poor at the moment, so we should be able to do them over. But then, of course, it, it, this is when the fixtures start coming thick, thick and, and fast. fast. We then this. potentially have a Wednesday against yeah. Stoke, and then we've yeah. got... Because uh, if we win, then the Stoke match is brought yeah, forward to the exactly. Wednesday, then we've got the Cup match at the weekend, then Monaco again, so this That's is where awesome. it really starts motoring. 
Dave, big changes or a few tweaks? I think big changes. I think he will probably field a very similar lineup to Huddersfield, exactly as Paul says, because of the fixtures that are that are coming up. I think there's going to be, particularly if we if we get through against Huddersfield, which we should, we are going to have pretty much you know a game, two games a week for an extended period. I'm still quite annoyed about the Huddersfield game. I think, particularly given the fact that they can't, they couldn't play their best player and creative force because he's on loan from us. We really shouldn't have. Uh, you know, laboured in the way we did. But look, there's a, the challenge is there now. I'd like to see us, you know, not tire too many of our key players with the run coming up. But it may well be start the similar team we have, but have the firepower on the bench if we need to bring them on on 60 minutes. Huddersfield should not be underestimated. I think Huddersfield will give us a very good game. I thought they played fantastically well in the first game. Uh, I thought we were fairly poor. I, I thought the, the lineup was uninspiring uh, on paper and that's what happened on the pitch uh, I think it's a very difficult juggling act to get the uh, team right um, for tomorrow and because if we win then the fixtures do start getting very very messy and I think at some point we are going to have if we make progress in the FA Cup we're going to have a clash with the with a Champions League game uh, and then we're going to get a pile-up at the end of the season and that United derby is going to be October. important. October. It's going to be important and it's going to come two days after some other game in the last week of the season. I can, I can really yeah, we, see we've that We've got coming. a few to rearrange, yeah. Uh, and then we've got a Sunderland at the weekend as well, of course, which, uh, as, as Stato's already said, I mean, they're, they're bottom of the league um, and really we, we, we shouldn't be slipping up there, surely. These teams tend to come good in March. This is the time when, you know, these these guys are looking at the table and, you know, not not only we're in trouble, but we can still get out of this. They're always, I always remember Wigan Athletic always used to go on that run in March that always seemed to save them. And Sunderland have had form in doing that as well. I really, I would not be surprised if we dropped points. Oh, David Hodgson, you're not going back on this show. Paul, Paul so a bit, bit of bit of sensible uh, uh, reflection, please. I'm very positive about the Sunderland Quite game. Right. Quite right. Um, get, get doesn't, get doesn't, matter, here. doesn't matter what team they put out. They are so poor at the moment. If we can't beat Sunderland, then we don't deserve to finish in the top four. Quite right. Listen, huge thanks to my three guests, to Paul Denby, to Nick Goldstone, and to Dave Hodgson. This is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you like this podcast, come and join me, Mark Webster, for The Whistleblowers, a weekly show that looks at the topics that all football fans are discussing this week at thewhistleblowers.net. And it happens to be brought to you by the same lot that produced this one. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.